Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at the, again, highly un-Egyptian film, Manos, Hands of Fate, from 1966. First things first, I would like to, well I suppose say thank, she made me watch this film, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to thank Claire Lockhart for suggesting this film. Claire Lockhart is a very talented artist who lives in South Dakota. Uh, she mainly focuses on sort of feminism and gender identity. If you want to see her work, I've actually put a link in the description for this episode, so please do check that out. For this episode, once again, I am bringing back Jake Fleming. So, hi Jake. Hello. Nice to have me back. Yes, I'm sure it is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, we've watched quite a film today. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to be brought on for a good film one day, but I'll take another bad one. It was quite fun, um, (laughs) but in a a largely different way to Troll 2, so that will be quite fun to talk about. I'm not going to lie. I remember at the end of Troll 2, you were talking about how anyone who's made a film deserves a lot of praise, yeah. even if it's bad. Do you still feel that? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Not anymore. I think I've changed my mind. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. But to begin with, I think it's time for my dramatic intro. Right. You and your family are on a road trip as you head out on vacation. Soon, you find yourself hopelessly lost. The only option is to stop at a strange house to spend the night. However, this is only the beginning of your problems, as now you must face the master, his wives who want you dead, and his god. You must now face hands, the hands of fate. Right, first things first. You've surprised me, because the film, as far as I'm aware, is called Manos, The Hands of Fate. Do you know what Manos means in Spanish? 
Does Manos mean hands? <laughs> they mean hands. Ah. Ah, okay, right, okay. That makes a bit more sense. So, effectively, yeah, this film is called Hands, and then the subtitle is The Hands of Fate. It also means his god is called Hands. <laughs> his, his god's called... There is a lot of hands-related things in the movie. He has hands on his little dress that he has. It's very cute. It's quite. I like the dress. I, at first, I was like, oh, it looks a bit rubbish, but that's because he's lying down. Actually, though, that's uh, one of the points. So that was, He was played by Harold P. Warren. And he was actually so proud of this film and he loved his cape so much that he used to wear it at Halloween. Oh, that's so sweet. It is sweet. I can see that being quite a nice Halloween costume. Yeah, I it's think it's good. You want something a little bit silly, I think, for Halloween. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, on to other facts for the film. And okay. I think this one's going to highly unsurprise you. So, John Reynolds, who plays Torgo in the film. Yes, yeah. Uh, he was on LSD for most of the filming. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's surprising, uh, but the behaviour that he exhibits throughout the movie would indicate someone who is on LSD. I just thought it was at least one interesting piece of acting, but no, apparently not. Nope. Okay, cool. In fact, um, I think, I can't remember the name of the person, but the, the child, uh, Debbie. Debbie. Well, I don't that's not her real name, but the actress who plays her. Yeah. Uh, she thought he was delightful on set and such a colourful and wonderful character. <laughs> it was only when she grew up she realised why. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it might... I don't, I don't really have anything to say to that, really. It's not really a safe place to put a child in, I don't think, with someone who is drugged up. Probably. But again, we talked previously about films that put people in compromising situations, so, okay. Yeah. Um... So this film had its gala premi- gala 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 at yeah. El Paso in front of local dignitaries, including like the likes of the mayor. Many or all of the crew left early to avoid admitting they had worked on the film. <laughs> I can't imagine that. My goodness, because I kind of watched this movie thinking this is something that must have just been shoved on late night TV with no kind of regard for it being an actual movie. Like one of those B-movie things that's never really supposed to be seen but catches wind because of how bad it is. Yeah. But that indicates to me that they thought this had some sort of audience. Yeah, well, it was actually made when the director, it was made for a bet. He said he could oh. easily make a film. Mm. And he actually did the first draft of Ingalls on a napkin. <laughs> okay. Did that become the final draft? He um, <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. But... <laughs> The only cast members, basically all the cast members, uh, they were going to get paid uh, with um, the shares the film made. Right. And that Uh. money just never materialised, probably. I mean, let's face it, probably didn't make that much. I doubt it made any money. Um, Yeah, okay. The only cast members that were uh, paid were Jackie Naiman Jones. Right. Uh, They got a bicycle. She got a bicycle. That was her payment. Okay. (laughs) And the woman who got a bag of dog food. (laughs) <laughs> not for the dog that's in the movie presumably another dog i think it may have been his dog that was his dog i think so i know it was one of the cast members well uh, okay all right so so the dog got paid really oh, yeah, that, he, he didn't get paid. paid yeah okay all right now this one is going to explain a lot of why this film was shot and i was actually counting this as we were watching okay the entire film was shot on a camera that could only record 32 seconds at a time <laughs> And And had no sound. Yes, okay. That makes perfect sense, yeah. Because there are some very awkward cuts. But but at times, I will say as well, it it seems like they were trying to use up the 32 seconds. (laughs) Uh, So they kind of paced it around that limitation almost. 
I quite like this next. Okay, fact. all right, I'm ready. So we are actually commenting on this, like completely ready, because obviously this is the first time I've seen this film. I was writing these facts before I saw the film. Yes. So you know that really long opening scene with the car and the music? Yes, it is long. That was supposed to have uh, credits over it. Oh, okay. That does make a lot more sense. I did wonder why we were spending so long on that particular scene. It is just them driving around. There is nothing really going on. And uh, the final little fact that I've got about this before we go on and have a look at the film. Yes. Um, In 2011, there was talk of a sequel um, with the surviving cast. The film, it, the filming even got started, but they were never able to secure the copyright. So it just wow. happened. I think probably a good thing. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. There's Maybe there's a good idea in there somewhere. And maybe if it was done right, it would have been worthy of seeing. I have no idea. It's, I, I would have been interested to see what they tried to do with it. But um, yeah, probably for the best, I guess. I don't know, because I don't know if this has like a major cult following like some of the other bad movies that we've seen before it does have a cult following but i i'm gonna guess it's not as big as like yeah i i think if i'm honest with you this film is awful yes but it i don't know like i just feel like troll 2 i can understand the the cult following a little bit yeah i and i don't know whether it's worth saving some of this analysis for the rest of yeah. the podcast but but i do agree and i think that there's a major difference between this one and some of thing something like troll 2 which we've as you say, enjoyed to some extent. You're saying you didn't enjoy this one? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So, I think it's now time we get on with the with the film. And it's really hard to know even where to start, really. Well, before we do start, actually, can I just give you... I want to give you a few movies that have come okay. out. I want to tell you some... Just to give us an idea of the kind of technical proficiency that was possible around this time when it comes to filmmaking. I want to just give you a few movies that came out within, let's say, three years before this movie came out. I'm going to guess there's going to be a few James Bonds in him. Yeah, that is one of them. Goldfinger came out, which obviously, great movie. Very good film. Yeah, well put together. Um, uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Oh, very good Which is, you know, up there as possibly one of the best movies of all time. Definitely one of the best Westerns. Certainly, yeah. One of the few I like. I'm not really a Western person, but I love that one. Uh, The Sound of Music. I've actually never seen it. Have you not? It's great. But the point with that one, I suppose, is it sounds great. The sound editing's lovely. It sounds wonderful. Uh, Mary Poppins as well, similar vibe. Uh, The Great Escape. Really good film. Brilliant film. Zulu. I don't know if you've seen Zulu. I've not seen Zulu, no. I would recommend Zulu. Michael Caine doesn't sound like Michael Caine in it. And it's quite quite fascinating to watch. That does sound interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Um, But that's just a few of the movies. So that's the bar, okay? When we're talking about Man Off the Hands of Fate, we can expect that it has gained all of the knowledge from those previous experiences of, of movie making, yeah. all the, the brilliance of these people, and it's going to produce something not equally good because, you know, those are great movies, mm. but at least technically decent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's find out how we get on. Right. Okay. Okay. So, well, the film starts with sort of like the panning over of the city as. The worst music you've ever heard plays. Yeah. It, it doesn't do anything to set the tone, does it? Because we, at the very least, knew this was going to be a horror movie. Yeah. And the music itself, I thought it looked like 
a travel commercial mm. because you've got these kind of windy mountain roads and they're just driving around. <laughs> they don't really stop for dialogue except for a very specifically short amount of time that they talk about the child being cold or something. Yeah, yeah, as he's basically throwing the dog around. Yeah, yeah, the dog does get thrown about a bit. Um, but it looks all a bit kind of commercially, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean, yeah. Like it's been shot quite quickly and cheaply as well. Yeah, yeah. But with the knowledge now that there was meant to be credits rolling over this, that does make a bit more sense because then you think, okay, this wasn't really supposed to be something you're there to glean anything from. It's just wallpaper for some words. Effectively. Yeah, yeah. So... I think my favourite part of this was, um, <laughs> as we were watching this, I, I sort of made a joke because they said, okay, let's have a sing song. And then I just went, hey, row, row, row your boat. Like they did in Trolls in yeah. a very awkward scene. And then they literally started singing, row, row, row your boat. <laughs> it's like the Wilhelm scream of bad movies. For some reason, row, row, row your boat ends up in the bad ones. Yeah. I don't know. It was very odd. It was a very weird moment when you did that and then it immediately started. I was I was freaked out. Yeah. yeah. They say. I will say, though, the beginning of this film, if I was to liken it to a film that is <laughs> pretty dated now, but... It was. It's considered a very good film. Yes, I would say the music for it and that, and the way it's shot, seems like they've tried to do. Uh, this is a film that came out afterwards, so it's not them trying this. Yes, but um, it felt like they were trying to do the original Wicker Man, where like everything's just a little bit off, uh, but it's set in the day. Yeah, and it's a horror, but it just without any of the knowledge of how to actually make that scary. This is exactly how I think these things happen. Is Maybe, and I don't know when The Wicker Man came out, but I'm sure that there was other horror movies that had some sort of trope similar to this around that time. I would say um, maybe Rosemary's Baby, is it? Mm, okay. that, that might be sort of... Because that's sort of like, again, most set in the day and yeah. horror. So I, I wonder if they do borrow those tropes without necessarily understanding why they work. Um, and I feel like that could be the reason that we've got this kind of very awkward opening that's supposed yeah. to be establishing a horror movie, but at the same time is doing nothing to kind of build any tension, mm. except for the fact that the family is a bit lost. That's yeah, the only yeah. thing that starts to indicate that something's going wrong in this movie. Yeah. We then get introduced to <laughs> um, two characters who, well, they pop up occasionally. Uh, they're basically two policemen. Yes. And, well, basically, they pull out, pull over the family... Yeah, because I guess they're speeding or something. It's not really established. Yeah, he gets off. He says, uh, oh, let me go, officer. And he goes, all right. Which I haven't tried that before for a speeding ticket. But it's good to know that you can just go, uh, th don't. Yeah. They, they won't give you a ticket. That's what I learned from that anyway. But, you know, um, so they carry on sort of driving. And they drive past a car. Yeah. And there's two people basically making out in the car. Yeah. And then... <laughs> From what I can tell, this is their only purpose in the entire film. They do appear after this, but they do nothing, really. Yes. They just, they're making out, they drink some alcohol, and then they go, oh, why is that car driving down there? There's nothing down there. Yeah. That's all they do. And even later on in the movie, their whole function is to go, the car went down there. Yeah. But that doesn't... And I don't feel like this is much of a spoiler. It doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't save the family or anything like that. Uh, and all these two seem to do is drive to various spots and make out. Yeah. That's and all they do. They just make out all day, I they, presume. They make out in a spot. 
the police turn up, go, hey, now, you two break it up. Yeah. And then they drive off, and then later on the film, they stop, they snog, the police turn up, hey, now, break it up. Yeah. Well, they're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> they're pulled over safely. <laughs> they're, they're not in the way. They're not in a public place. I mean, I guess they're in a public place, but there's no one around. Yeah. There's, this is one of, well, two of about seven characters we see in the whole movie. Yeah. So, yeah, that was very odd, very awkward. And again, lots of characters here being established that the majority of which are going to have nothing to do with what happens in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Then basically we get endless driving. Yes, yes. More driving. Yep. A lot more driving. More driving. Then they get to a dead end. Yes. And, well, like you said at the time, we just watch as they do an entire three-point turn. Yeah, the shots, and, and again, I guess this is where it comes into the fact that they wanted to put credits over this. All of the shots are so laboured. Yeah. Anything that happens, happens in full. Uh, and this is the case throughout the movie, but even at this point in the movie, at one point they turn around. And yeah, you see them kind of do that little thing where you back in and then you move out and then you back in again and you move out. And you're thinking, <laughs> why are we watching this entire process? <laughs> Uh, I think I love those when they're driving back. I think I mentioned it when we were watching, just the amount of tyre marks on the ground. Yes, yeah. Clearly they'd done a few takes, which is surprising to me. They did a few takes on that, but they clearly didn't do a few takes on a lot of the other scenes, unless they messed up almost every single one of them. With these ones, I always love the idea that maybe, just just maybe, they did do a lot of takes, but they just included the wrong one. Yeah. It's actually a masterpiece here somewhere. <laughs> Inside this movie is an incredible movie. Well, I think at this point, what you as the viewer are starting to notice with Man Off the Hands of Fate is that technically this is a very, very poor movie. The camera work is really poor. The sound mixing is dreadful and and i can't even emphasize just how bad it is to the point where there's a line of dialogue that the the mother is saying but the music has a woman singing loudly over it so they're just clashing together and you can't tell what either of them are saying the car makes no noise whatsoever there's no engine sound or anything like that and there's a bit later on and again i'm sure we'll talk more about it but Debbie, the child, is talking, and we both said we cannot work out what she's saying. She I just, just couldn't hear it. She just sounded like a robot. Yeah, it was very strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we've got, we got the film running <laughs> in the we background. We do. <laughs> the police have just turned up to um, scold the uh, snogging couple. Yes. we. We. I've actually been, like, I was hoping to get to each scenes that are coming along, but I just forgot how long this scene was. Well, that's the trouble. So the film itself is quite short, isn't it? It's about 70 minutes long. Yeah. And an awful lot of time, um, because we've had this running now for seven, seven and a half minutes, and they've just been driving around. Yeah, That's all that's happened in the first seven and a half minutes. And bear in mind, there's only an hour to go, and they're going to pack all of this story in. It's absolute madness. Um, and just, again, goes to show that they really didn't have much of a concept for this movie beyond, like, three or four scenes. Yeah. One thing that I, I quite liked about this film yeah. is... Whenever, like, they wanted to do another retake or something or they weren't happy with a scene, the director just went, don't worry, Hollywood magic will sort this out. <laughs> and then he just didn't edit it. <laughs> he forgot the Hollywood magic. <laughs> Everything left in is just as it is. Yeah. Um, are we about to get to them arriving at Torgo? Or is this the three-point turn we're looking at the moment? Turn. We've got a while before they get My to Torgo. So I'm just, I'm fascinated now. How long did it take to get to the actual movie? Because I don't count this as the movie. Nothing's happening right now. We're just watching. And like I said at the time, 
a man drive around unremarkable roads. They're just there's nothing. There we go. Yeah, he's doing a three point turn. He stalled it. He stalled it. I didn't notice that he stalled. <laughs> this is exactly why. I mean, it's just rubbish, isn't it? Anyway, let's yeah. Shall we skip ahead. Let's skip ahead. Okay. Nine minutes. So nine minutes in, we've seen Torgo. So the film's kind of started, I say, when we see Torgo. I'd agree. Roughly. Yeah. So, yeah, they basically pull up at, at, like, a house that wasn't there before, apparently. Yes. And there's Torgo, who's... I mean, now you know that he's on LSD. Yeah, so he's kind of jittering and stumbling a lot. Again, I kind of thought that was part of the act. I thought it was, like, uh, Igor or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Where there's kind of an assistant who's kind of hunched over and a little bit iffy. But... No, he's on LSD. He's just on LSD. Okay, well, there you go then. That's, I mean, that's a good way to get a performance out of your actors, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they basically get out and they approach Torgo. And the thing I love about this scene is they, they need a place to stay. Yes. Because, you know, it's going to be dark soon. And Torgo basically starts going, Oh, you can't stay here. The master won't be happy. <laughs> oh, no, not a human child. And not a dog either. The master would not like this. And then they're just like, yeah, can we stay here still? Yeah, they don't seem to see that as anything to be concerned about. And Torgo says something along the lines of, it's going to be dark soon. There's no way out. Yeah. It's going to be dark soon. It's like super bright. I mean, there's no sun. <laughs> it's not like evening. It's not like it's getting dusky. Um, and he's there kind of giving them all of these scary things. And they just go, yeah, all right. And it's the same thing in all of these horror things where people make the stupid decisions and it kind of takes you out of it. Yeah. But in this one, you just, or you already take out of it because you already noticed that the film has been done haphazardly. So it's it's nothing too surprising, I suppose. They're happy with it. They're going to take their child into the place where this creepy man has just told them that the child will not be welcomed by the master. <laughs> Standard horror movie stuff. Right, so eventually he sort of allows them to stay and he kind of like hobbles over to the car to get the bags yes brings them in meanwhile like the woman the the, the mum and the dad are just sort of in the house standing up while the daughter's playing with the dog on the on the sofa yeah again sort of throwing it around a little bit to be honest a poor dog <laughs> really yeah and the mum and the dad are just kind of staring at this painting on the wall and talking yes. about how terrifying it is yeah this is where they clearly didn't have a lot of ideas for this movie because it is so laboured. Every part of the movie is kind of done to the fullest extent it can be. And I would say we get three or four shots going back and forth between the parents staring at this painting and long, drawn-out shots of the painting. It's not a remarkable painting. No. It's a painting of a man who looks slightly creepy, a bit pale, and, and a dog. And the dog looks fairly normal maybe slightly gumpy and at this point she goes that's a vicious looking dog that's the most vicious looking dog i've ever seen and you think that is the most vicious looking dog you've ever seen it looks like a regular dog it's it was throughout the film it's either just sort of playing or yes. it's being relatively well behaved yes that's the trouble the dog then appears later in the movie and it's it's just a, it's a nice dog it's a lovely dog i don't know <laughs> they didn't pick one that was any intimidating at all um so yeah it's just a strange thing of this kind of establishing how creepy this guy is but nothing about it is particularly creepy 
but they spend a long time building it. Like, there are literally people who have gone to the Louvre and spent a quarter of the time looking at the Mona Lisa. Yes, yes, I, I can imagine. They spent a long time staring at that painting. Um, yeah, very strange. I think my favourite part is just the hands here. I know, the hands. <laughs> it took you a second to notice the hands, didn't it? It did, because I was so focused on, on the man and how he looked like the lead singer of Queen. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, yeah. yeah. a bit. <laughs> right, so basically, a short time after this, uh, they're sort of, well, first of all, um, they're in this room and then suddenly there's just a random cut and they're in a bedroom. Which yes, are quite that's like, nice. Yeah, even though like all of the ornaments on the walls are the same, and the, <laughs> the color of the they're either in the same room, but they put a bed there, or they're in another room that looks identical to it. I, I'm almost certain they just moved things around the room because they refused to take the camera out of that one position they put it in <laughs> in the living room. So I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's the same room. But basically, the point is at this point they hear a terrifying howl outside. Yes, and. Well, at first, the dad's just like, well, it's probably just a wild animal of some kind or in the desert. And then it carries on and they decide the best thing to do now is to go outside. Yes. With the door wide open. Yeah. Uh, and who's looking after the dog? The child, I presume. So that's fine. Yeah. Nothing can go wrong there. Hang on a minute. What happens? Oh, no. Uh, the unthinkable happens. The dog runs out. The dog runs out. Ugh. Yeah. So... Um, our Michael, our mm -hmm. father figure in yep. this whole situation, goes to this car, yep. grabs his gun. He's got a gun in there. I don't know why he didn't take it in, but he's got his gun. And then he goes kind of looking for the dog. There's a few times in this movie where people are searching for something. Yeah. And the way that they search is to kind of move two feet forwards, sort of look slightly around and go, I can't find it anywhere. Do you know one of the reasons for that? Go on. The camera they had wasn't really good enough for the night shots right okay so they were very restricted on how much they knew like you see it later with the policeman when they're shining the torch yes you notice there's nothing around the car because it's just that dark so they were really limited by the quality of the camera yeah my goodness yeah well it could oh, they only had one camera <laughs> apparently oh my goodness okay one camera that didn't have sound <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're making a movie, maybe get one more camera. Yeah. So, yeah, the dog... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so basically, he goes over and he finds a dog dead on the ground. Yes. Very sad. Extremely sad. This is actually uh, one of the cast members' dogs. I think it might have been the dad's dog, actually. Ah, uh, okay. And, um, well, obviously, when it was dead on the ground, it was just a toy. Yes, some sort yeah. Of, like, I think it had had some ketchup or something thrown on it, you know. Yeah. But, um, but the bit I love here... Obviously, the mum is very shocked. Yes. And <laughs> just picks up the dog and walks off into the darkness. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how you get rid of a dog. You you put them into the darkness uh, and then that's them buried. Yeah. I To be fair, I don't understand. There's one thing that happens here I don't really understand, which is that they never really tell the little girl that the dog's dead. Yeah. They don't really say it to her. And she, I think, goes out looking for the dog later on in the movie um yeah we're just watching him carry him off to, into the darkness as you say yeah you could tell the camera can't quite follow him particularly yeah, far yeah. as he's disappearing quite quickly do you know what i do wonder because we've now arrived at the the scene where um we couldn't understand what the daughter was saying yes and i yeah. do wonder if they were talking about the dog here 
Yeah, possibly. It wasn't very clear, and I don't put the blame on us for that. No. There's a couple of things that I didn't really follow, and I'm I'm going to claim that that's nothing to do with me. I was paying full attention. I think the movie just has a pretty bad way of explaining things. Yeah, yeah. Right, so I'd say pretty understandably at this point, they kind of had enough, and they yeah. want to leave. Yep. So they get Torgo to take their bags to the car because apparently they're not able to do that. They need to get this guy who's clearly like, you know, jittering all over the place. Yeah. That. But oh no, the Guess car's what? not working. Mad, isn't it? That's crazy. Um, so the car's not starting. He's out there, Michael. He's out there trying to get that sorted out. In the meantime, Torgo goes and I would say effectively harasses Margaret, the, the mother. Yeah. He says something along the lines of the master wants you for his wife. He just goes straight in there. And she takes a little while to process this before deciding it's worth uh, screaming about. Um, he does also touch her hair. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell sometimes what they think is happening because it, it doesn't even really feel like he's being creepy. He's just, it's, it's just weird. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing there that feels like he's being kind of molesty. Yeah, well, the fact that she's not reacting to it at all, kind yes. of like... She, she doesn't, like, back off or anything. He just kind of touches it. Although, I will say my favourite part is, like, what, like a good ten seconds after this happened, she slaps him. Yes, and yeah. I just love the fact that, you know, because clearly they had a camera that didn't have sound, and they forgot to just add in that sound, I guess, because it's just yes. completely silent. It's a silent slap. I don't think it's the only one in the movie, either. No. Um I'll I'll take back what I said. I'm just watching the scene again, and and she is pulling some faces as her hair is being touched and does back away. So perhaps they did sell it a little bit better. But everything in this film just comes across so awkwardly. It's hard to tell what the actual awkward bits are. Um, now she's shouting and is about to slap him. Yeah. Which you know that's the appropriate reaction. It just happens 20 seconds after it would have been appropriate to do so. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit delayed. Yeah, a bit delayed. <laughs> <laughs> I love the next bit though, where like. He sort of tries to bar her way, but he does it in such a half-hearted way. Like, yeah, she's not really being restrained in any way. Is she she could just go around him if she really wants to, but she, decides not to. Yeah, and yeah, so the car's not working. Uh, there's a strange person who's stroking the hair of the wife. But what's happening to Debbie in all of this? Wow. That's the question. Yeah, we're about to find out that Debbie has decided to go for a little wander. Now, it might have something to do with what she said. Maybe. In that dialogue that we couldn't hear. But it, to my mind, I think she goes out to look for the dog. The thing I love, though, in that scene is they're all in the same room at that point. Yes. We see her get up and just walk through a door, and it just looks like a door in the house. Yes. And then the parents look around, and she's not there anymore. And they're like, oh my god, she's gone, what are we going to do? And they kind of freak out, but they like run really half-heartedly around, <laughs> but making sure they're still in shot. You can tell that they're being told where to go. Occasionally that one of them will run off screen and then come back and go, that door's bolted. It's <laughs> like they just couldn't be bothered to move the camera. Yeah. They just kept it in that one place. And what was it, like a half-hearted push on the door she <laughs> went through? Yeah, the actual door she went through, she kind of like gives it a little nudge, but it wasn't really any actual force i don't know i don't know if it was supposed to be bolted shut like maybe that was part of the magic or actually she just didn't push it hard enough and would have seen her if she just went out there but after that very intense search mm. they decide she must have gone out of the house to search for the dog yes yeah so 
they run outside, and in fairness, they do find her. Yep. And by gosh, she's got another dog. And that dog is the one from the painting. Oh my god. And it, it is adorable. It's, I'm telling you, it's a cute dog. It's a pretty I, I cute dog. It. <laughs> no, it's it's not intimidating at all. She kind of just sort of like lets the dog run away. <laughs> she just drops the lead and the dog runs away and then she runs back to her parents. I love the way it's walking perfectly to heel when she comes up. It's clearly very <laughs> it's tame. a very well-trained dog. <laughs> and they're just like, get away from it. It could be dangerous. <laughs> Beast. <laughs> poor dog yeah dog was just loving life i don't know why he's getting all the abuse um yeah then she goes on and she says she went through this door and so the family go through the door she went through and well they see it all i mean this is the big reveal isn't it this is them seeing the the dastardly stuff that's going on in this house they see wives um i say i say they're wives we know they're wives but they're all dressed in like bridal gowns aren't they kind of pressed up against these pillars and they see the master himself laid upon a stone. I don't even know what it is. Just a box, I guess. Uh, So they kind of see all of this weird culty stuff. Um, And that's when they decide to leg it, or at least the dad does. He's going to try and find some help and he locks the mum and the daughter in the bedroom. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Then we get to a bit where... Torgo comes out. Yes. And he's like looking around at the wives and he sees the master. And he's saying, This one's mine. This woman's mine. And he wants the mum for his own wife, basically. Yeah, he's decided that's his wife now. He is basically taking advantage of the fact that all of them seem to be asleep. Yeah. At the moment, the master, like Dracula, is in his slumber. And the wives, I guess, are also in a slumber. But later on, we find out they can still hear what he's saying, which is kind of a dumb move on his part, <laughs> um, considering he must have known that that he has six wives at this point. Yeah, so six, yeah. It's not like this is a new thing, I'm guessing. And um, Torgo's kind of prancing around. He points at the oldest wife and says, you're the worst one. And he kind of uh, does the hair thing again. Um, and then, <laughs> like, I love it. He kisses, or he, like, nuzzles his head in between herself, elbow and touch. Yeah. <laughs> It's all very awkward. I don't know. Because later on, we find out that the master doesn't really like that first wife either. So I don't know why he didn't just give that first wife to Torgo. I guess the wife might have had something to say about it. I mean, I don't know what she's doing there anyway. She doesn't seem too happy with No, she's she's livid. Like, later on in the movie, she sort of fights back a bit against the master. 
Um, mm. So yeah, it's all very strange. But then, just just um, just because I'm not certain if we know that um, Torgo is quite pervy. Yeah, I think yeah. we need a bit yeah. more evidence. I agree. So, because um, how would we know? Um, so now, what he does is like you've got the mum. So she's sort of like changing into a nighty in the room. And then we just see Torgo just pressed up against the glass. Yeah, he's like full on licking his lips, like leering. Like if if there was a picture of the word leering, it would be that face that he's doing in that scene. Um, And again, I I think there's a clue later on that this film is meant to have some certain salaciousness to it. You're supposed to look at the ladies and get a little bit excited. And she's in a kind of nightgown. Um, And I think that's part of it. You're supposed to be like, oh, hello. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a lingering on that as well. Why well, go into that scene too much? So I obviously know the one you're talking about. Yes, yeah. But I do like the fact that during that scene, we were both going, "Is this supposed to be like tintillating?" <laughs> yeah. or... It wasn't clear. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, so at this point, we get to uh, the father, who I think is aimlessly running around in the desert. I'm not really sure what he's doing at that point. That's the thing. We already know that it's 10 miles to the nearest phone. Yes. So what is he doing? And as Margaret says, that might as well be 10,000 miles. So Torgo sneaks up behind the father and I would say presses a stick against his back. I don't think it really counts as a hit. (laughs) Not really. I think it's meant to be a hit, but he sort of presses a stick against his back, which knocks the father out as any light blow to your back will do and then this is the one scene that i was watching and i wish i'd started counting early because i wanted to see if it was 32 seconds okay um but he basically tries to drag the father because it's like unconscious body yes sort of has to readjust it drags him a bit more can't quite get the right grip drags him a bit more and holds him up against the tree yeah. Then fumbles around a lot and tries to tie his arms behind a tree. This this scene, I swear, it's longer than thirty seconds. There's no way it's it's not as long as thirty seconds. It takes forever. Yeah. And it's it's like the director just pushed him into the scene and went, right, you're on your own. You have to physically haul this man and tie him up. And I'm doing no editing. <laughs> it is going to take as long as it takes. So I'd be amazed if that's less than 32 seconds. I just don't know where the cut is. There must be a cut there. Maybe there is. That's very clever if they managed it. In which case, best shot of this film. (laughs) I'll give them that one. (laughs) But yeah, all very fun, all very awkward. And we move back to uh, the master, who's now awake from his slumber. slowly sitting up. Yes, he is. He uh, in his lovely gown. Might meet while the dog just runs around happily. (laughs) Yeah, the dog can't stay still in any of these scenes. He's always moving around, having a great time. He literally could not have picked a less threatening dog. I know, he's He's so cute. (laughs) Um, So yeah, he kind of does this speech. I wasn't really following the speech too well. It was about the god Manos, I guess. It was pretty mumbled and jumbly and uh, prayer to his god Manos. Sorry, sorry, his god hands. His god hands. Sorry, I just remembered because it came up just to make sure (laughs) the viewer is fully cognizant of who this is. They show the painting again just to make sure that you go, oh, yeah, the guy from the painting. That's who this is waking up right now. I'm really glad they did that yeah, because I was confused. I would not have known. <laughs> um, ben. Go ahead. So who turns up again now? Uh, do you know what? We haven't had some fun with that snogging couple. Yeah. I'd like to see more from them, please. So I think the last scene was that we had them snogging and then the, the police turned up. Yes. And said, hey, you guys, move along. 
And then this seems actually really ingenious because what happens is uh, the couple, they're slogging for a long, long time. Yep. And then the police turn up and they go, hey, now you move along. <laughs> yeah. And again, I don't see why there's a problem here. It's nighttime. They're out the way. They're not doing anything wrong. The only thing that this scene serves is for them to go, oh, that family went down that way. And the police go, bah, that's a dead end. And so they just don't worry about it, I guess. The thing I love, right? They say, that's a dead end. Move along. And I love the fact that the couple then drive in that direction. Yeah, they do. They drive towards the dead end. <laughs> Maybe they're hoping the police won't follow them down there because they don't stop following them to try and stop them from snogging. They have a serious problem with kissing. I think something's happened to one of those police officers that's given them a bit of trauma. That's the thing. There's a dead end there. Why are they down there? In the Like, why are the police going down there? Like, there is no logic to... the directionality of anything that's happening within this scene so that's it's pointless i mean that is a completely pointless part of the movie great so we now head back to the master and he's still sort of doing his prayer to hands yeah god yeah manos manos yeah i'll stop doing that joke <laughs> um and then he decides to basically wake up his wives yeah he wakes up his wives and then there's a lovely jump cut to him sat down with his wives all nattering away and he kind of looks like annoyed slightly that he's woken them up and they're just chatting with each other there's certainly an element of oh these lot <laughs> do i find quite funny about that the jump there though yeah okay so a second ago well they had a shot where it went up into the sky and then it faded to the master so he didn't the, the, the director knew some stuff about editing Yes. So why was this cut to the wives like bickering so sudden? Well, I would be tempted to say it was done as a funny thing. Do you think? But so? I just don't believe that with this movie. I don't believe none of this comes off like they're trying to be funny. There's no everything's done with full earnesty. I think I, I will give it actually just having seen it there. It's a slight fade, isn't it? It's not a full jump cut. It like fades out and fades back in to him sat down looking slightly aggrieved he looks so annoyed <laughs> yeah, he does doesn't he and they're all sat in a circle nattering away the dialogue you can't hear anything they just hear this kind of like constant nattering and then at one point you hear one of them say i can't believe they brought a child here um like, which establishes the kind of theme of what they're about to go through the thing i love is in, in the scene so like when the master's gone yeah they're all sort of like yelling at each other and then there's just one bit where you can see their mouths all moving and all yelling, but then you can just hear one of them talking. <laughs> yeah, there was a great deal of attention paid to overdubbing some of these scenes. I think particularly the ones where there's groups of conversations going on. So yeah, none of the audio matches up properly, um, which is fun. But basically, um, the point here, to <laughs> believe it or believe not, or there not. is a point, sort of, yeah. um, is they're deciding what they need to do with the child. Yes. And you've got some that are like, well, I'd say it's sort of 50-50, maybe swaying a bit more towards kill a child. Yeah, it's hard to tell. For sure, the oldest wife doesn't want the kids. She wants it alive, yeah. Yeah. And then the others, I don't really know. At a time, it feels like all of them want the child dead. And then another time, it feels like there's quite a few of them that don't want the child dead. I Again, it's hard to follow exactly who's saying what. But one of the points they're making is, and they make it about three or four times, is kill the child, but she's a female child. She will be a woman soon. <laughs> and then apparently that's good, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. 
Um, at this point, the master's had enough of the bickering and just runs off. He's just done with it. He goes to... Well, I think he's actually going to punish Torgo for bringing the child in the first place. Yeah. Uh, which we'll see in a scene coming up. Yeah, but first, we have what is possibly the most violent scene <laughs> I have ever seen. Because they're bickering. Then the oldest wife slaps one of them. Uh, you could call it a slap. It's it's the weakest slap I it, think I've seen. It's another silent slap, I think. Silent and probably done it around two and a half miles per hour. Yeah, yeah. I would say. Then, um, what, a lot more bickering. Yes. They kind of separate into sides <laughs> at, at one point. They do it like almost um, choreographed. Uh, it's like they're going in to do like a West Side Story thing. Or something. Yeah, and then it's like that hold me back, bro, where they're not <laughs> really trying to get at each other um, before it does actually erupt into a, a major fight. Well, I think I love right. What? So the the main wife kind of gets pushed over. Yes. And then she just lays there for a while. <laughs> yeah. And all of the moves here are just... Basically, I'm going to push you. Yeah. I'm going to push you. And the reason I think that this probably is supposed to be titillating, this is a scene we were talking about earlier yeah. where we're like, is this supposed to be like hot? Or. Yeah. It's not. No, uh, no it's not. <laughs> but the reason I think it is is because all of these women came from a modelling agency. Yes. I think with that in mind, then definitely there was an element of this which was supposed to be titillating, especially because it goes on for a while as well. But there's nothing happening where you go oh yeah i mean like none of this is sexy or anything so i don't it it ends up coming just coming up as like an awkward mess of bridal gowns falling over each other yeah and it goes on for a long time it is happening for minutes thing is like i think we were looking at it like because it it, admittedly it's there for a while then we cut off to another scene then it comes back yes but in total i think it does last about 10 minutes it this, feels like it does. This yeah. film is only 70 minutes long. <laughs> this is one-seventh of the film. So we then cut halfway through the fight. We come to Torgo, who inexplicably has fallen asleep behind uh, a chest of drawers in a corner. I don't know why he's asleep there. I don't either. What We've established there's a bed in the house. Yes. We've established there's a sofa. Yeah. So why is he, what, is it like straw on the ground? I don't know what he's sleeping on. No, I'm not sure either. I don't know if he's passed out from exhaustion, if having to tie up Michael. He's just in a corner. The master approaches him uh, and effectively tells him, you have broken my trust. Torgo says, uh, well, I want a wife of my own because the master says, oh, we heard everything you said, you idiot. Didn't you realise we could hear everything? Why did you tell us all of that? Well, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And then the master goes, I'm going to kill you. Now, how does he do that, Pete? Well, um, so first of all, he walks towards Torgo. Yes. And Torgo walks back yep. into the corner. Then the master stares. He does. He stares. Yep. Then guess what he does? No idea. He stares. Okay. Then he turns around <laughs> and just does like uh, spreads his hands and basically on his cape he's got some red hands you can see them as well yeah and prays to manos i think yeah and then that's the end of the scene yeah so i was very confused at this point and i thought maybe he has some power that you can stare at a guy and kill them maybe that's something he has and torgo does kind of like slump back but he's not dead. You can tell he's moving around. He just looks like he's asleep. 
but I thought maybe that was it. Maybe that was him being killed. But we're going to see Torgo in the next scene, and he's fine. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely fine. He's, he's completely fine. I don't know why the master is taking so long over this, why he's um, kicking about, <laughs> letting him have a few moments before he goes. But that's because there's a much more brutal execution in oh, plan. Oh, my god! You goodness. won't believe it. You won't believe yeah. how horrible this is. It's going to give me nightmares. But either way, the, the next scene we get, we have the, the dad tied to the tree again. Yes. When one of the wives, who's presumably broken away from the fight, finds him. And, well, she sort of leans down and just starts basically just, I don't know, rubbing herself? Like, looks, is it supposed to be kissing? I don't know. It kind of looks like she's trying to nosh his face a bit. I'm not really sure what it is. I'm not even sure why it is. Because... Perhaps I wasn't following the wife conversation closely enough, which again, I don't feel like I can be blamed for. But I don't know why she's doing this. She unties him after slapping him a bit to try and wake him up. And again, I don't really know. I just noticed that first slap completely missed as well, which is which is lovely. I don't, again, decided not to reshoot that. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure why she does any of that. There was no mention of another wife being dissatisfied. But also, do you know the one thing they all agreed on in that, early scene yeah they all agreed that the the father can die yes yes they did so this is completely nonsensical based on what we've heard already yeah but then we go back to them fighting yeah they still fight and they're still having a good old wrestle in the sand yeah. that's what everyone's fancy is wrestling in the sand <laughs> um and then at this point one of the other wives alerts Torgo and the master to the fight that's going on. So Torgo's back up. He's just with the master at this point. Um, and the master breaks up the uh, little skirmish that's going on. Yeah. So at this point, I think the sacrifices begin. Oh, this is gosh. where uh, the master is starting to pick the people he wants dead. He has decided that the oldest wife has betrayed him because the oldest wife wants the child to live. Yeah. So the oldest wife is going to be tied up and killed. Um, and Torgo, he's still not done with him. Torgo is also going to die. Yeah. I, th I felt like Torgo had a lot of chances to get away. Yeah, Torgo didn't really fight the inevitable conclusion. He just hung around for a bit, having been told what his fate will be. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't try and do something about it. Especially considering he's been quite like rebellious up until that point. Yeah, he's like talking back to him, saying, I'm going to have a wife. You've got six. Why can't I have one? So it's not like he doesn't have any like spirit of his own. He just decided, well, the master wants to be dead. I guess I can't argue with that. Even when the master's putting him on the, the kind of the rock. I don't know what to call the thing that they sit on. What I guess, is that? Is it supposed to be like an altar thing or an a bed? Altar. Yeah, an altar or a bed. Even when he's being put on the altar slash bed, he doesn't really fight. He just like, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die now. That's fine. <laughs> but... Do you want to talk about the way they uh, they uh, they take him out, or they try to initially? <laughs> the fantastic uh, execution idea that they had was for two of the wives to, I would say, rub. Yeah, it's more of a rub. I think it's meant to be like a kind of claw, but it's more of a rub. They they kind of forgot you're supposed to sort of bend your fingers when you're doing a claw. Yeah, so they're just kind of rubbing his chest. And he's going, ah, like that. Occasionally, they give him a gentle slap. Yeah, the, the odd slap in there as well. So, I mean, as far as execution methods go, that's going to take a while. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, there's no easy way out of that one. 
But I love the way the, the, the sort of like the oldest wife is like turning away in distress. Yes. This horrible thing that's taken place in front of her. But he doesn't even get killed by that in the end. No. He's, I don't even know if you could say wounded. He kind of like flops onto the floor, having been scavenged and devoured by yeah. these two ladies. And then I guess the master went, that was a bad idea. Let me come up with something else. He does something. I don't know if he uses the force. I don't know what you would call it. He kind of drags him back up without touching him. He kind of like pushes his hand upwards and that brings him back. Yeah, yeah. because I was wondering if he was turning into a zombie or something like that. Yeah, like some sort of undead uh, supervisor or something that he was going to use. But instead, and I I still don't really know what happened at this point. I know he the the, the, the metal thing in the flame is supposed to look like a hand. So yes. I'm guessing it's something to do with Manos who's punishing him. Yes. But he basically moves um, Torgo's hands towards like the hole in the hand. And then... As soon as it touches that, well, there's just a sort of like explosion thing. Yeah, and you just see a burning hand, yeah. just like a de- like a decapitated hand on fire. Yeah, and then my favourite part is just Torgo running onto the <laughs> desert with his wrist on fire. Yeah, as there is no sound whatsoever. Which they all then talk about that, like he's dead. It's not dead. His hand caught fire. What? That's not dead. I mean, maybe he lost his hand, but still, that's not dead. He no. just ran away. I mean, even the laziest movie surely has to appreciate that they can't get away with that being a character's death. But either way, the master just spends a little while laughing about what just happened. He's just laughing away. Loved that. It was yeah, great yeah. fun, I guess. We then have, like, um, I suppose a relatively sort of short scene where we see the, the dad. He's kind of been untied by the wife earlier. Yep. And he runs back to the house to get his uh, wife and his daughter. And the thing I love about this is um, they're sort of crying in the bed because they're so scared. Yes. And he goes, open up the door. And then he starts banging it down. (laughs) But first of all, again, no sound. No. Secondly, you can clearly see that the door is open. It's unlocked. Yes. Yeah. And it does just open, basically. Um, It's always like they had the place rented and they didn't want to do any damage. (laughs) That's possibly true. I, (laughs) I could imagine that that is the case. Um, so he effectively goes in and says, we need to get out of here. Yeah. Whatever the way, we're just going to run into the desert. Um, we're getting out of here, which is what they go and do. In the meantime, now the master is having a bit of a tiff with his first wife, who's already tied up. Mm. She's having a go at him saying, your powers are growing weak. You're losing your touch. You shouldn't kill that kid. Yeah, um, even Torgo's turned against you. Even, that's right. Even Torgo turned against you. Um, and this is when the master... Again, it's a long, laboured thing. Very weird. Maybe it's a fetish thing. But he spends a good two or three minutes slapping her. Yeah, and he's like, you see like the blood appearing and stuff. Yeah, it's quite clearly like he's put something on his hand yeah, and it throws some paste on her face when he hits her. Um, it's not the most convincing makeup I've ever seen. No. I will say for as bad as the slaps are, and they are bad, they're probably the best ones in the film. <laughs> There's a lot of slapping in this movie. There is a lot of slapping. Now I think about it, there's loads of slapping. <laughs> Why is that such a big part of this movie? Um, yeah, so he's happily slapping his wife, which is... I don't know what I was expecting. Quite a bit of phrasing uh, there, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we see family running off into the desert. Yeah. The thing I love about this, the amount of times they fall over. <laughs> they fall over so often, and 
for some reason, I don't know when, but the Margaret, the mum, must have picked up an injury. Because she keeps going down and goes, go on without me. Which makes no sense at all, unless she's got like a broken leg. But that never happened in front of us, did it? No. There was no in- So wh- why is she unable to run as far as her like seven-year-old daughter? I don't understand. Well, also, just later on, you see her running normally as well. Yeah, so... R- round about the scene where the dad has like the best fool ever. Yeah, it does. He, it's like a proper gymnastic tumble he does. He really went for it. He's going, I'm going all in on this fool. I just love the way, like, when he gets up, he's just basically going, oh, shucks. That was perfectly normal. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're kind of just running away, but they're doing it in the most ridiculous way possible. I suppose what you could say is that there shouldn't be any light. So they might be falling over a lot because Maybe. they wouldn't be able to see anything. But obviously you wouldn't be able to see anything either if they actually didn't have any light. So they have the same amount of light as you see any outdoor shot. Has. Yeah, yeah. But then we, we head back to um, the master. He's put his his wife, his oldest wife on the altar bed thing. Yeah. So I guess he's, he's had enough. Yeah. And they basically, all of his wives and he go out into the desert to look for the family. Yes, yeah. So at this point, the family picks up on that possibility. They start thinking, well, because they're going to be looking for us, we might actually be safer going back to the house, the creepy house where everything went wrong. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the house. At some point in the middle of that conversation, they also shoot a snake. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. I don't, I don't exactly I, know why. I absolutely love the sound of the game this film. <laughs> it sounds like someone knocking a door. It doesn't yeah. sound like a gun at all. It probably was realistic. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, that could well be it. So you get that scene. Um, and then... We do see the police one more time. We do. And this is the whole point where you realise that the storyline with the two people kissing and the police goes nowhere. Yeah, it doesn't go anywhere because they hear the gunshot. Yeah. And they kind of get out of their car and they go, oh, I heard a gunshot. Where do you think that came from? And the other one goes, well, it could have been Mexico. <laughs> and then, then they drive away. <laughs> oh, oh well, no, they don't drive away, do they? They get that torch out for a second. Well, they, they get they get the torch out, which is the thing you want in the desert. Yes. And then they put it away and they just get this weird red thing out. I still don't know what that's supposed to be. Yeah. And they, like, waft it about for, like, a second and then get back in the car. I don't know what they were doing. They drive off. They drive off. And that's the end of the police within the movie. Yeah. They're not in it again. Like, the way it was built up, it was like they were going to find them. They might, you know, like at the last second, oh, look, it's the police. And yeah. it'll be a tense situation or maybe they're the saviors. But no. No, I don't. Do you think that was an intentional fake out? Like, that was like them trying to play with the audience a bit and make you think, oh, the police are going to come in and save the day. Actually, they thought it was Mexico. I think... I think probably, but at the same time, they needed to do it more if they wanted that. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It was all very tangential. They were only in it for like yeah. probably a maximum of a minute of yeah. the movie's length. They needed like a, a part where like maybe the car drives off and then the family arrive going, wait, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that would have been quite good. Um, so they're not coming to save them. And the family are heading straight back to the, the house. Yeah, the creepy house. They decided to abandon the running away, which, to be fair, seemed to have been working okay. That yeah. no one had come across them at that point. No. Um, and then it's the final scene, I believe, after that. Well, well the final scene before the epilogue. I yeah, guess. yeah, because we basically, they get back to the house. Yes. And there is the master it's... spreading his cape so you can see his lovely red hands. <laughs> yeah. 
And the dad's... Well, first of all, I love the fact... So you've got the dad shooting him with the lovely knocking doll sound effect. Yes. And then you've got the camera just going back to the master, and it's just off focus. Yeah, they didn't focus. In the last shot of the actual movie, they didn't focus. Um, so it's kind of like the standoff, I guess. Yeah. This is what it's all been building up to. And what it builds up to is the dad shooting and the master staring. And then... Whilst there's a lovely dog. Yes, oh yes, he has this lovely dog with him. Um, so really that plan of <laughs> running back to the house didn't work. Um, and then that's it. That's, yeah. So that's kind of the end of the movie. It finishes on that point and we get a little epilogue to find out what happened to the family. Yeah. So basically you get um, this sort of, not a couple, I, I guess they're supposed to be two friends or something. Yeah, yeah. Driving down the road. Yep. And, well, they're, they're lost. Yes, yes, same scenario that we saw our uh, our heroes in earlier in the movie. Oh, look at that. There's a, a very, very uh, strange and creepy little house there. That wasn't there before. Interesting. Well, don't forget, they came across the, uh, the kissing couple first. Oh, they did. I believe, they? yes. I believe yeah. that's a little, a little last-minute cameo, just to show that their love survived the movie. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they made it, which is great. They're the real heroes. That's, I, was, I was worried about that. Yeah. Because they what did seem like they were in danger. Yeah, I always thought there were some issues. So they drive around. Are they going on a trip? Did they say they're yeah. inviting their friends? I don't know where they're going. Going on vacation. On vacation. And uh, they get to the house, the, the famed house that we've spent all this time looking at. And at this point, we see not Torgo, because Torgo had his hand blown off. Yeah. But instead... It's Michael. Michael. And he goes, hello, I am Michael. Yes, like Torgo used to do. Yeah. I don't know if he took LSD for that scene. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> he, he seemed, did. He seemed less just to <laughs> He fact. did, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but then it's also revealed, I don't know what happened to the mum, but what's her name? Debbie. I was Debbie, about to call her Deirdre. Yeah. Debbie uh, is now a bride. Yeah, She's one of the brides, yeah, which is, you know... It's not aged well. <laughs> no. No, I mean, it's it's pretty dark. Yeah. Um, and then that's it. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> and then, well, we get the credits. Yes. And it ends with the end, question mark. <laughs> which is great, because it indicates that there's, there's more to say about this world. Um, and I'm not sure they ever had anything to say in the first place. Um, but that's the end of the movie. That's it. We, that's man off the hands of fate it's an hour and nine minutes long it feels about three hours long yeah um and nothing really happens so the great horror films of uh <laughs> that's ever been made yes the shining yep we've got psycho yes we've got manos hands of fate hands the hands of fate hands the hands of fate so what are your thoughts on this film I think this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And I say that from the perspective of obviously comparing this to Troll 2 and The Room as the two other kind of classically bad movies I've watched. This one comes across as a movie with no technical ability. I mean, at least in Troll 2, the sound worked. You could hear what the characters were saying. Uh, There were cuts in the middle of characters doing (laughs) things. Um, And there was some semblance of an attempt to build up some sort of atmosphere, even yeah. if it didn't work. I mean, Troll 2 is a terrible, terrible movie. Mm. This movie does, on a technical level, everything wrong. And I think that's why it's harder to to 
imagine there being a cult following for this because it's less about the fruitiness of how bad it is, like the room, like yeah, to, and more about how these people were completely inept at making a movie. In a weird way, I am happy I've watched it. Yes. Um, I did get a little bit of enjoyment out of it because some of it was just so bad. Yeah. I'm never watching it again. <laughs> no, I have no desire to watch it again because it's not like I'll go, oh, I can't wait for those crazy lines because you can barely hear what people are saying half the time. There's not some big bombastic scene that you're looking forward to where someone does a really bad bit of acting. I mean, all the acting is bad. Yeah. But none of it's like, you know, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, or <laughs> they're eating me. Yeah, whatever it was in Troll 2. <laughs> None of it's like iconic in that way. So I was thinking about this because one of the things I was thinking was Manos on IMDb yeah. has like a 1.3. Mm. Even The Room has like a 3. Well, it's come back on itself. Yeah. I yeah. It, but I think that's partly because people go, well, actually, I did enjoy this movie for, for all its flaws. This one, nobody enjoyed. <laughs> nobody went, I, that, I enjoyed that on some ironic level. This is a 10 out of 10, which suggests to me that this is just too abhorrent a movie for anyone to actually find something enjoyable about it. So you're telling me you didn't like it? <laughs> In a roundabout way, yeah, <laughs> I would say. No, it's, it's definitely entertaining uh, to watch once, I think, because you're kind of blown away by how bad it is. But I don't know what you would get out of watching it again. Well, I, I remember like when this film started... Um, we were sort of saying how we're not going to have any drinks during this. Yes. And then I just said, well, earlier today, I tried to watch the trailer <laughs> and I got halfway through before giving up. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, what would you say? Where would you put this in terms of bad movies you've seen? Because I would say this is definitely a firm candidate for one of the worst I've ever seen. Okay. But you've seen more movies than um, in this genre. In terms of... Again, it like you say, in terms of a technical level, the mm. worst I've watched since doing this podcast. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. No question of a doubt. Films that I, I'm going to annoy some of my because yeah. uh, I've had like a few comments from uh, from like uh, you know listeners. Sure. When I've done a bad review and they go, I actually really like that film. Okay. All right. But if I had a choice between. I don't know. Go on, say it. I don't say know. it. What are you going to say? I was going to say I've given two one-star reviews. Right. Whilst doing this podcast. Yes. One is for the Scorpion King three. Right. And the other one for was for I think it was called the Mummy Rebirth. Okay. Would I watch this film above those? I don't want to watch any of them again. No. Uh, so so, uh, am I right in thinking those two that you've mentioned because. They're technically better than this. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think what you are what you may be coming around to is the fact that because your primary interest is movies about Egypt and mummies, they're more of a personal affront to you and what your sensibilities are than something like Man of the Hands of Faith, which is just generally bad. Not so much, no? really. No, because I do try and separate. Like, no, you, know, you know, the two. That's why I separate the sections, sections in general in my sure. episodes. Sure, sure. Um, I think I think this probably is bottom of the list. Yeah, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to think because, again, probably going to annoy people by saying a film that a lot of people actually really, really like. <laughs> In fact, it got rave reviews. I went to the cinema. I can, absolutely hated it. Can I guess? You go ahead. Is it Batman? It is. 
okay. The newest Batman. Yeah. It was three hours. Okay, fair enough. Everyone's got their tastes. Yeah. For me, it was three hours long of someone moping around, and it didn't do anything to make me like Bruce Wayne in that film. He was just a weird emo kid. Yeah. Uh, for three hours. Yes. The argument I made, right, is because uh, I saw Morbius in the cinema as well, which was also pretty bad. Sure. I would rather watch Morbius again than Batman purely because it's half the length. So I'm yes. thinking this film is shorter. <laughs> I've still right. got more of my life left when it's over. But yeah. I still think I'd rather watch those other two than this. By virtue of the fact that it's shorter. What if you only had to watch an hour and nine minutes of Batman? Oh, then I'd watch Batman. Okay, yeah. okay. So so really, I mean, like, pound for pound. I, I accept that Batman is a good film. Yeah. Just don't get it. No, that's fair enough. That's fair. Okay, interesting. Because I was thinking just then, actually, that this is probably not the absolute bottom of the list of movies I would want to not watch again. I think I might know one of Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's Keith Levin, the movie. Um, <laughs> if I was going to pick a film between those two, I'd watch Manos again. Yeah, I'll watch Keith Lemon the movie if if you paid me a million. If we're talking about all of the films I've ever seen, yeah, my least favorite film is a film called um, The Cold Light of Day. Okay, I don't know that. Uh, it's Mark. Uh, it's Henry Cavill's first film. Oh right, and it's okay. also got Bruce Willis in it. Yes, and it's also got Sig- Sigourney Weaver in it. That's quite a good cast. That's why I'm not too bad. It is such a bad film, and the script is so bad, it makes Sigourney Weaver look like a bad actress. Gosh. Yeah. That's hard work. That's not easy. Yeah, like, and I think the thing is, um, again, it comes down to the whole, um, it wasn't technically the worst film. It was just so dreary. Yeah, I understand that. There's a certain element of a movie just being very plain. Yeah. And therefore, you get no stimulation out of it. I think that's the worst case scenario. And I will say, I there were moments of this I found funny, so it's yes. not in that category entirely. Yeah. So, no, if we're talking about like everything combined, it's not the worst film I've ever seen. But yeah, if we're talking just on a technical level, it is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a very fair conclusion, and I think I would agree with that as well. There are other films that I would avoid putting on over this one, but if I'm being objective. There hasn't been a worse movie I've seen than this. And in a way, isn't that an achievement? Yeah. Well done. So, overall, I would say not the worst film ever made. One out of ten. Yeah, uh, I'm agreeing with you there. That's a one out of ten for me as well. Right. Well, I think that about um, brings an end to the episode. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on again to be tortured. <laughs> yeah, no, you're welcome. I look forward to the next terrible movie. And thank you all for listening to this episode. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, please do like, subscribe, leave a comment. And join me next week where we shall be looking at Stargate from 1994. I hope you all have a fantastic week and see you then. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.